RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. The Trek Files, Season 2, Episode 11. Letter from Paul Johnson to Gene Roddenberry, August 14th, 1973. Welcome to The Trek Files, a look into the archives of Roddenberry Entertainment from the personal files of Gene Roddenberry. And now your host, Dr. Trek, Larry Nemechek. Welcome back, Star Trek fans, background fans. <laughs> and yes, all you Trekophiles with an F. We have another one of those slice of life letters to Gene Roddenberry this week. Again, all of our documents coming right out of Gene Roddenberry's files and visible right there on our Facebook page, simply The Trek Files. You want to follow along with this. And I'll be right back with our guest. Dear Sir, I've never written to a television producer before, but now I must. Last Friday, my parents, both in their 70s, were robbed in the New York City area while on their way to visit me. Their car and money were taken, and they were beaten. After wandering in shock for nearly an hour, they had the good fortune to be spotted by a group of young people calling themselves the Star Trek Club of New York. Well, Truckophiles, I really, really hope you have a chance to follow along and read this letter in its entirety from a civilian, this Mr. Paul Johnson from Clifton, New Jersey. This is starting to sound like a 70s setup to a Saturday Night Live sketch. But uh, as you read the letter, you find out he tells a story and, and, and ex- expresses a mounting uh, disbelief, a mounting amusement, a mounting awe of this thing that a lot of the world still does not know about in 1973 called Star Trek and what we might also call the Star Trek phenomenon. And joining me here this week is our old friend, John Champion. You know him from Mission Log and Mission Long Live every Tuesday night. Uh, we were just going through this, these documents and got into discussion about this. <laughs> <laughs> well, John has to tell you his yeah. moment of disbelief. As I was smiling yeah. reading this document, John had a slightly different take. Well, and hi, and hi again, John. Hi, hi. Good to be here. And, and 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 that's well, that's what's part of the fun about doing this show is that you and I get to spend time just looking at page after page after page of documents. And there's always, you know, every ten minutes, there's an oh wow, look at this. Oh, this is incredible. We should talk about this. This one, look, there are so many fan letters, and this one is so unique. And it kicked off a discussion that you and I had, which we'll get into here, about credibility and and believability. And, I, our, and our times. And our times. And, and I want to believe. I'm like Agent Scully here, okay? <laughs> I want to believe. But there, there's or just... Or Agent Mulder. Or Agent Mulder. Well, no, wait. Scully wants to believe, right? Mulder already believes. Oh, okay. okay. Right? Okay. Uh, I, I'm not sure. It's I in his way. office. It's so in, the, okay, the poster's okay. in his office. Okay, yeah. yeah. Um, I, I, this is a fascinating letter. And, and as you always mention in every show, people really need to go to Facebook and read the full thing because there's a lot of interesting detail here. And, and we'll hit some of the high points in our discussion. But to me... It's a little too perfect 
And, and let's just give the, the basics of say, the story. I was going to say, for those who are not yeah. able to read. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's give the basics of the story. So the, this man, Paul Johnson, writes to Gene saying, I've never written to a TV producer before. My parents were both attacked in New York. My parents in their 70s. Yes, yes. Uh, so we're going to guess we can say that Paul Johnson may be in his 40s at the time. Right. You know, somewhere around there. And he's writing this letter in August 1973. Yep. Just to set the timing here. Yep. And, and he says that, that uh, this happened last Friday. So this is very recent. This is very fresh in his mind. That his parents in, in their 70s were attacked. And uh, members of the Star Trek club helped them, took them to the hospital, paid out of pocket to get help for these people. And here's Paul. He has no idea who the Star Trek Club of New York are. He has no idea really what Star Trek is, but they welcomed him in, and he saw this letter from Gene Roddenberry on the wall. That's where he got the address where he knew to send this letter, and uh, and he wanted to thank Gene and say to Gene, hey, whatever you've got going here, it must be a good thing because you have reached out to these kids these people all in their 20s or, or under 20s. Under 20, yeah, he yeah, says. Yeah. Who, who wanted to help and wouldn't even accept a reimbursement for whatever came out of pocket for them to help uh, his parents. This is a beautiful story. I do not doubt. <laughs> you think it's too beautiful. I, I, know, I don't doubt that kind people do kind things for other people who are in need. <sighs> I I guess the problem that I'm running up against here is that so much of Gene Roddenberry in the 1970s was the mythologizing of Gene Roddenberry. He he goes from TV producer to sage of our times who can predict the future and has this grand vision of humanity, which is wonderful. I think that we, even if he was doing it in order to perpetuate his career on the college lecture circuit i think it's a it's a good message that he's sharing in a letter like this i there's something about me that wonders how much of this was was paul sort of embellishing and making the story that perfect was it all star trek fans was it only star trek fans who helped these people did they really just say nope nope we won't accept a penny because this is what star trek tells us to do well the lone ranger also never accepted payment for anything that he did so i i I don't know i I, I, he didn't have a clubhouse though he didn't have a clubhouse yeah and that's the thing i'm trying to picture this clubhouse in 1973 in new york where these under 20 star trek fans hung out and invited Paul to come over, presumably just over the weekend, uh, because this thing happened on a Friday night, and then his parents were delivered back to him, uh, where he's first learning of this attack. There's so many unanswered questions here, and all we have to go on is this letter that is it's an office copy. So we assume that somebody, that, that the original right. might have been handwritten, and now here's a copy that is typed up for Gene. Right. Okay. Yeah. So, in going through documents to just consider for the show. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> your, as Marina would say, your reaction gobsmacked me a little bit, mm. or left me gobsmacked. So, yes, it is a copy, and it's noted as such in the days before xeroxing, okay. <laughs> what we say photocopying now, yeah. was common. This was in Gene's, uh, whoever was acting as his uh, assistant secretary. Typed it up. It obviously says signed Paul Johnson. It's not the original letter, which probably was handwritten. Right. Has his address at the top. 
1973. So here's a couple of things that struck me. that In this letter, I just smiled, and I went, wow. You were stri- stricken the way <laughs> yeah. you report here. To me, nothing here overtly rings um, as exaggerated. For one thing, okay, it's 1973. Mm-hmm. Um I don't think Gene is quite in guru mode. Gene's still trying to do the PAX pilots. Yeah. He's still busy treading water trying to sell his next uh, mission. They've sold. Uh, the animateds are about to debut on NBC. We're, we're three weeks away from the animated right. series. Which yeah. means they've been drawn. They've, the yeah. deal's been done for several months. Yeah. So he's on his step-by-step way to resurrect Star Trek and keep it alive as a, some kind of maybe a movie project. He's told people. We've, we've talked about that already in the timing. But he's still smart enough to know he can't he can't beat that dead horse too much. He's got to get yeah. out and be fresh. So he's still very much looking to other projects. It's 1973. We're kind of right in that, if not then, right on the cusp of the Boogie Nights, um, the Deuce, mm-hmm. the decaying mm-hmm. New York of the mid 70s. Yeah. You know, Ford to New York dropped dead. The city was bankrupt. The strikes, the sanitation. Basically, as I read this, I thought of the out of towners. <laughs> the movie, okay. the okay, 1970, sure. yeah. the, the the Jack Lemmon movie, where yeah. the people come into New York and everything horrible happens to them. Right. These, these folks didn't just get mugged. This uh, Paul Johnson says his his folks' car was stolen, yeah, and they were beaten. Yeah, so it's a it's a rough thing. Now he's in Clifton, New Jersey, but as he says, the kids drove 20 miles to bring them home uh, out of their way, and and they're technically if they're on, if they're not over 20, they're technically teenagers, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So, but. Most of all, this is 73. The first New York con was in 72. Not just that it was New York City itself, but fandom itself was in those first throws of being that, that's the pure right there, and yeah. magical. Yeah. I'm just looking yeah. at it as a simpler time, a gentler time, the, the birth pangs, yeah. the purest expression of Star Trek. And any yeah, I was still three or four years from, from Woodstock, and we're still in hippie time and all of that, yeah. all that too. Vietnam War is still going on. That's, you know, the mod consciousness is still there, yeah. really. So all that is in play. And to me, nothing about this uh, rings untrue. And look, I, I want to be very clear. I don't think that this is made up out of whole cloth. I don't think that Gene made it up. I don't think his office made it up. I don't think that Paul Johnson made this up. I don't think that the Star Trek Club of New York made this up. I, 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 what it, yeah, I, I do not think that this is just uh, an invention out, out of somebody with an overactive imagination at all, at all. Um, what I'm trying to do is understand where... This real and horrible thing happened, but then it turns into a Star Trek fan letter from somebody who is not a Star Trek fan. And and, and if you read the letter, really just unaware of Star Trek. I'm trying to picture in my head this guy sitting down with these teenagers and them sort of indoctrinating him with all these (laughs) ideas of Star Trek. He he says in here... um, they also said that, quote, Gene Roddenberry's prime directive, I like the use of prime directive there, was to love all humans irregardless of race, creed, or color. Um, interesting. Very good. Yeah, yeah. I, but, you know, here's the thing. I, they, say, I they say they believe that Star Trek lives in them when they help those in trouble. Yeah. Which is sounding almost, uh, you know, theocratic there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it's all. It is a religion. Yeah. Right. It, it's just, it's a, it's a lovely story that to me is so 
perfect. And he's got so many interesting details in this. Uh, apparently learning quite a bit about Star mm-hmm. Trek in a very short period of time with these nice young people. Um, I, I guess what I'm saying is, you know, you reached out to, uh, well, what should I say? You reached out to Doug Drexler, who was certainly uh, at the center of Star Trek fandom in 1970s New York. Right. To say, have you heard of the Star Trek Club of New York or, or here, uh, STCNY? Yes. And he said no. Um, whose acronym made an impression on Paul Johnson. Apparently. It did. It did. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and that's not to say that that didn't exist. It's right. just that it something that he had not heard of. It's, it's a big city, Mr. Scott. It is a very big city. <laughs> I, you know, what I want, I'm curious if any of our listeners know about the Star Trek Club of New York. I'm curious if, if any of this rings any bell anywhere. If there's any threads. Yeah. This is pre- this is pre everything being online, so you can't just do a Google search and and find you know oh look here's this thing that happened last weekend where these people were attacked and we can find out well, who they are. What the, the the meta to this letter mm-hmm. and especially your reaction to it? Mm-hmm. I was smiling. Maybe I'm just being deluded because I was I was a kid, but mm-hmm. maybe mm-hmm. I'm just thinking of the time. Maybe it tells us more about 2018. In the current day, well, for yeah. one thing, if his letter yeah. seems, I mean, you almost react to his letter as being very erudite and quasi-grammatically correct, right? Like yeah, he'd written yeah. it for English well, class. Well, except he used the word irregardless, which okay. uh, is not okay. Regardless, <laughs> well, irregardless of your point. John. Oh, oh, it's like nails on a chalkboard. I, yeah. yeah, I. Uh, it's insure and insure to me. Yeah. It's one of the things. <laughs> um, but people wrote full letters like this. If we're yeah. for one thing, just yeah. just the one thing, and if that gives it a sheen of of over earnestness or, yeah. or perfection, as you said, yeah. I, I would counter that a little bit. Which then I back up and say, well, was was he a reporter? Was he a writer? Was he writing yeah. this? Like, what's he got to gain from shining this story up and sending a letter to Jing, who he sensibly doesn't know, doesn't know producers, doesn't talk about TV shows, doesn't write about them, and does, and certainly doesn't know anything about Star Trek. It's made an impression on him. If you on the letter of his letter here, uh, he's and he, the details he talks about. He saw black and Puerto Rican youngsters taking full part in this club meeting, mm-hmm. and um, but he's remembering the things that struck him. Yeah. And it is 73. The Vietnam War is going on. We've got young kids protesting and young people are all mixed up and the world is falling apart. And we're worried about being – we're not even worried that much about the world being poisoned yet. We're still worried about Vietnam and nuking ourselves. So many of these things that we think about as the 60s and 70s were still in in flux and in in thrall and in – you know. And that's the time this guy is living in. So the fact that these young kids under 20 took up money for his parents' sight unseen, which seems a very – now we think about it stereotypically as a very hippie thing to do. Mm-hmm. But that they told him what was going on. And maybe it struck him as a cult or maybe, I was kidding, <laughs> as a religion. But, you know, he was thrilled. Um, his folks in their 70s trusted the kids that night. I guess they didn't have much, much uh, choice. Yeah. But he, and then his line where he says, how did you get through to these kids? What's your secret? Yeah. They, they believe in both Star Trek and you. Yeah. Now. I don't think Gene was on the guru hunt here. It's way too early. Sure. I think he's still trying to punch a time clock and collect a check for the mortgage. (laughs) (laughs) But maybe this was the kind of thing that set him down. If he had enough of these collected, if these were coming in in the door, these moments and these these, uh, recollections from people, these anecdotes are coming in, maybe that's partly what set him down that path. 
I, yeah, I, I think that's very fair. I don't, but I think we really have to, I really think we have to remember the time and the place and also media. People weren't cynical. Uh, Watergate's was still a a year away from Nixon resigning. Sure, sure, sure. So the onslaught of Vietnam and Watergate and all the things that set us up to be a cynical society that maybe we've never recovered from since, that was still on the cusp. And we we did a cursory, a cursory uh, search for Paul Johnson. 40 years ago, in his 40s then. Uh, TV writer, reporter, didn't turn anything up. Yeah. So maybe this was just an average Joe in shock that he found a good bunch of kids. They they told him what was at the cor- at the seat of it all, mm-hmm. and he's just incredulously writing a complete letter to this guy in L.A. I don't want to look at this cynically. <laughs> I, I, I want this to be just one of the many ways that Star Trek has touched people's lives, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and I think, to your point, this being 2018 as we record this and looking back on something that happened 45 years ago, it's a different world, times are different. I'm used to looking at... Uh, uh, fans and non-fans alike, wh- whether it's Star Trek or not Star Trek, posting things on the internet where literally every single line you have to go, okay, did that really happen? Are, are you are you really just sort of making up a story here because you want the story to be better? And or what's yeah. in it for you? Yeah, yeah, very much so. Right. And, and and that's you know that that's a, a fair thing to look at here. What's in it for this guy writing this letter to Gene Roddenberry? Well, he's not asking for anything. In fact, he offers, he says, hey, if you want the names of these kids, I'll send them to you. Now, what we don't have is if there's any follow-up. And we don't have the original letter, although we we do have the name. We have all the detail here, presumably intact. Um, I I really, I, I hope that somewhere in our listenership, there's somebody who can offer just a little more detail. I, I, and I said, too, I, I'm well aware of the pre-internet. We had the Star Trek Well Committee's directory of clubs. I would love mm-hmm. to get an early edition of that and see if something's li- – I don't – that's yes. the other thing. I don't yes. doubt that there were probably 8 or 10 or 12 Star Trek New York clubs by oh, sure. New York City and greater sure. New York City clubs. Sure. At least four, five, six at yeah. the time. Yeah. So this right. could have easily within a year faded into nothingness. Yeah. Because the first thing you did was, you know, print up your membership cards and (laughs) have your your bylaws and all of that. Right. So I've got no, that doesn't throw a wrench in it to me. I just, I just think it was, but most of all, the purest thing about this letter is his shock. Yeah. And, and remember Star Trek is barely away from it being off Saturday morning and a kid's thing, a kid's show. Right. Right. And I don't think the impact of Star Trek as well as cynical society in general has bloomed enough I mean, it's totally uh, logical for this guy to, to, to that's his reaction at, at, at his first uh, encounter with Star Trek in full bloom and what it's doing to people. I, and, and the phenomenon that will grow will come out of situations both with this gentleman, his perception and the kids themselves as to the Star Trek phenomenon we have today and pop culture and everything we have today. I, I think it's a beautiful story. Make me a believer. I, you're almost there. I, I think you are. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll try, John. Okay. We'll have you back and we'll try again. Okay, good. The Trek Files is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. Executive producer, Rod Roddenberry. Additional production by Ken Ray. All documents are available at facebook.com slash thetrekfiles. For more great podcasts, check out podcast.roddenberry.com. And for more deep diving of Star Trek behind the scenes, visit Dr. Trek and Portal 47. That's me at LarryNimbachek.com.
podcast.roddenberry.com. The Roddenberry Podcast Network.